See, <clears throat> last week we began a series of lessons that I'm calling the basics of church life. And we're sort of going back to some of the, the things that, that really are at the root of what does it mean to be a group of Christians who are worshiping and serving Christ together. To, to be Christians who are part of the church. And it's good for us to come back to that because there's so many distractions in our world. And so Paul leads us through that in Ephesians chapter 4, this great passage. And last week we began by talking about the unity that Paul calls us to. Both unity in the church local, so this church, but also unity with Christians around the world who are also serving Jesus. And we talked about the things that bind us together and that keep us together as servants of Jesus. Now, there's a short interlude and then the passage we're going to come to in a few minutes where Paul sort of builds on that, but he's also thinking about how do you as Christians, as members of a church, grow in Christ? Now, when I think about that personally, if, if somebody came to me and said, okay, how can I develop a deeper relationship with Jesus? I don't know about you, but, but my answers often involve things that I do sort of alone with God, right? So one of the things that I would say is, you really need to, to, to read your Bible. I mean, God has given us this book for a reason. It, it lays out who God is and what his relationship with humanity is. It tells us that he sent his son Jesus, that his spirit is at work in us. This is how we know God. So if you want to get to know God better, you need to spend some time reading God's word. Well, that makes sense. We would also say prayer, right? I mean, those are the two simple answers. Read the Bible and pray. Talk to God about what's going on in your life. Ask Him for the things that are most important. So be still and allow God to be at work on your heart and mind during that time. But, but all these things are just like me and God. I'm, I'm there with Him alone. And if we restrict how we understand growing in faith to just what I do with God, then I'm going to miss out. And if I tell people that, they're going to miss out because there, there are lots of things that the New Testament talks about that are not just done in private that lead us to grow in our relationship with God. So today, I want us to talk about a principle that I think can take us even further. Certainly, we need to spend time in prayer. We need to spend time in God's Word. I would always encourage that. But there's things that we need to add to that, and that's what I want us to see today. Some important principles that Paul lays out. And again, we're, we're in Ephesians 4. It's the second half of this book where Paul gets really practical. The first half is a lot about what you should believe. The second half is a lot about what you should do. And so here we are, Ephesians 4, and we're going to look at just three verses this morning. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11. This is what Paul says. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Now, if you look in your bulletin this morning, there's a, there's a place to take sermon notes, just like there is every week. And at the top of that space, it says, use your gifts. That's the title I've given to this message. And that's something that we've talked about before and, and that we'll probably talk about again. And that is part of what we're talking about today. But in some ways, even my title is incomplete today. Because there's lots of places in the New Testament where Paul and others talk about the gifts that we have that God has given us to serve him, right? So we might have the gift of teaching. That's a gift. Might have the gift of encouraging. You might have lots of different gifts that could be used in the service of the kingdom of God. That's a proper way to understand that. But here in Ephesians 4, 
Paul uses language that is slightly different, but I think it gives us an insight to understanding this in, in a way that some other passages don't. So notice how he says this. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. What Paul is saying is those people themselves are a gift from God to the church. So the gift is not just that someone might have a, a certain gift or ability to do something. It's not just what they do. It is that the person themselves, each one of them, is a gift to the church. And I think we take that and we think about our life together. And part of what Paul is saying is that each person who is part of this body of believers is a gift from God to the rest of those believers. So you were created by God and you are a gift to this church, to this community. And that takes me in a little different direction than just God sort of gave us gifts. You know, if, if I'm not careful, when I think about God gifting us, it's a little bit like we're all just in, we're, we're this group of empty glass jars in a room spread out over the whole room. And God is just about to dump out a, a bucket of ping pong balls. And those ping pong balls are just going to land in whatever jar. God just hands out the gifts sort of randomly to whoever gets whatever. But this image that Paul uses here is that God has created each one of us individual, and he hasn't just dropped a gift into us. He's created every one of us to do something in the life of the church, to be something in the life of the church. And that makes us a gift to each other. He talks about the apostles. Now, apostle was a word that was used very commonly in the first century in Greek circles. It wasn't just the church. An apostle literally meant one cent. So somebody would choose a person and then they would go do the business of the person who sent them. And that would give them a responsibility, but they were also sent with authority to do the work. Now, that's the way it worked in the church as well. The apostles were a specific group of people who were sent by Jesus with responsibility to do work and the authority to do it. So it begins with 12 men, right? And they're, they're with Jesus throughout the Gospels. Judas betrays Jesus, so he's off the list. Matthias is added to the list, so it's still 12. And these men lead the early church. They are sent by Jesus to lead the early church. Now, a few others are added to that list, but it's a group with specific qualifications. So the era of the apostles is the first century. And we see them as sort of the, the key players in leading the early church. If you read the book of Acts, you see that the Spirit is at work in these men to lead the church to grow and expand across the Roman Empire. So that, that was a specific time and place. So no one is an apostle in the same way that Peter was, that Paul was, that Matthew was. All right? now, much of our New Testament comes from those men or is highly influenced by those men. So apostles, prophets, when we say that word in our culture, what normally comes to mind is a prophet is somebody who can, can tell the future, right? They're going to tell us what's going to happen next week, next year, 10 years from now. They predict the future. But in Scripture, again, it was used in, in a very different way. Foretelling was a part of what the prophets did, 
But, but the core of the job of a prophet is to speak for God. So they're given a message from God to communicate to a specific group of people. So in the Old Testament, we have a long list of prophets. A lot of them bear a, have a book that bears their name. And then we have other prophets who appear in the books of history. So the language is often something like this. The word of the Lord was to, and then a name, Obadiah, okay? Hosea, Amos, and they take that word and they share it with the people of Israel. Now, a lot of times that word was, hey, this is what you're doing wrong. You messed this up, but God's going to give you a chance to repent. And if you do, things are going to be great. But if you don't, here's what's going to happen. So there was an element of this is going to happen, but the overarching message is this is the message to God's people to follow him. Now we see that at work in the New Testament as well. We see some prophets, both male and female in the New Testament, that receive a word from God and they share it with the church or with others. Now, we don't have prophets, in, again, in exactly the same way now. We have people who speak for God, and, and I hope that what I say on a Sunday is a message from God, but it's not like he dictates it to me. It becomes as, as I study and pray through God's word. But still, we're, we're trying to speak a message that is consistent with God's word, but not exactly like Old Testament prophets. And then we have evangelists. Now, the word evangelist, I mean, the, the literal meaning is someone who shares good news. It was like a herald in the ancient world, right? No internet, radio, TV. The news only gets around by someone who announces it in the public square. Well, an evangelist was a herald of the good news. It's where we get our word gospel, okay? But if I say the word evangelist in 21st century American culture... My guess is that most people in the culture are not going to associate evangelists with good news, right? That's not what first comes to mind when people think of an evangelist. In fact, what comes to mind is a lot of people think this is going to be a person who's going to tell me how bad I am. They're going to tell me I'm a sinner and they're going to tell me I'm going to hell. That's not exactly good news, is it? But it should be. The, the news of an evangelist should be good news. So when the message is, you're a sinner, you're going to hell, that's not good news because it's not complete. The message is, we're all sinners. We all deserve death. But that's only a small piece. The good news is that Jesus came and he lived among us and he died on a cross for our sins and he offers us forgiveness and eternal life. And even beyond that, he's ushered in this new kingdom in which God is at work and he offers for us to be part of what God is doing. We can participate in the mission of God. That's good news. So Paul says, these evangelists are a gift, right? Because they're announcing the good news of Jesus. And we begin to see how these people are a gift to the church. The last two are, are sort of paired. I think they're two individual groups, but the language really puts them together. Pastors and teachers. 
Oftentimes when we think of a pastor, we think of somebody who stands in a place like this, like me, and, and teaches a lesson on Sunday morning. Or maybe a youth pastor or a worship pastor, kids pastor, that has a specific job in the church. But truth is, in the New Testament times, the pastors were most likely like the elders of the church. Like the elders were a gift from God to the church, to lead the church, to care for the church. The word literally means shepherd. People who lead the church where it needs to go and care for the church and provide for the church. And teachers are ones who preach or teach from God's word, who share the message to the church, not just that Jesus has come and died on the cross, but what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So each one of those is a gift from God to the church. And the next question is, in what way are they a gift? So, so these people themselves are a gift to the church. Paul answers the how, beginning in verse 12. He's given all these gifts, these people are gifts, to equip his people, Jesus' people, for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, those two verses are a little difficult to, to follow because if you, if you were able to read it in the original language, and I'm not great with all that myself, but if you look at it, Paul just sort of, he just piles up these phrases on top of one another, and it's sometimes difficult to see even how they're connected. But the best way that I can understand it is if we see that Paul is sort of leading one to another, that one of these goes to the next one. And then I can begin to put together what Paul is saying. So he's saying we've got apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, shepherds, teachers. They're a gift to the church because they equip his people for works of service. So these people who are gifts to the church help everyone else begin to serve as well. So that the whole church is made up of a group of people who are gifts from God to each other. So, that, so the leaders of the church encourage everyone to serve together. So as the body of Christ connected to each other, we lead one another to do something, to serve together, to, to be a gift to each other in these areas of service and in, in many, many more. But that's not the end of the story. Paul keeps going to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, if you'll notice there, it's language we use all the time. We don't even think about it. But Paul sort of mixes his metaphors there, right? You don't, you don't build a, a body. A body grows and a building doesn't grow. It's built, but he puts those together. And his point is... When we serve together, we begin to grow. And that makes sense, right? I mean, when we think about when we do something as the body of Christ, or, or we do something as a team within this body of Christ, we begin to grow together. We, we begin to develop something. And that's the very next thing that Paul talks about. He says, until we all reach unity. And sometimes unity comes from doing something together, from serving together, because we create a sense of accomplishment 
as a body. We, we have shared memories that we develop and can look back on. Like this week, as we've been mentioned, has been mentioned already in the service, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night, our youth leaders got together and we had this event for our students called Launch. We had games and a, a great speaker and the worship was awesome. And it was just a really good time together. And, and we're all going to remember that. Remember that time we, remember when it, it's all in shared memory banks now. We can look back on. We did that as a team through the power of the Spirit at work in us. And that creates the unity that Paul was talking about that we discussed last week in verses 1 through 6. It's something that holds us together. But the kind of unity that it creates, for me, is a little surprising because this is how Paul describes it. The unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. So Paul is saying that our shared sense of accomplishment, our shared memories, lead us to unity in what we believe. That because we're serving together, we're believing the same things. I think that's working because we're, we're teaching, we're sharing, we're studying God's Word together. And when we do that, we begin to see how God's Word actually works. And then we believe the same things about God and His Son and eternal life and His Spirit and the church and all those things that are part of the belief of the life of the church. And then he takes that a little further. Unity and faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, what we believe, and we become mature. See, see, Paul's been leading up to this. I am sometimes think about, okay, like, I'm a free agent Christian, right? I mean, it's between me and God. This whole thing is about my relationship with God. But Paul is pointing to the fact that our life together also helps us to become mature. It helps us to grow in faith. And then he rounds that out by saying this, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, which is language that Paul uses in several different letters, that Jesus is full, he is complete, he is everything that we need. If we want to know about God, look at Jesus because that is a complete picture of who God is. If you're looking for a God who is not Jesus, you're looking for a God that you've created, not the God who actually is. He's the full picture of Jesus. And as we do all these things, we serve together, we, we begin to grow, we become mature. Paul says, then we can measure up to Jesus. Does that mean we're as good as Jesus? No. Does that mean we're perfect? No. But we're growing in that and we measure up to the one who called us. And what that tells us is this whole section, all the way from 1 down to 13, has been all about the same thing. Because verse 1 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. You've been called to follow Jesus. And Paul follows this whole thing through down to verse 13 and says this whole thing has led you to measure up to Jesus, to the calling you received. Now let's back up. I began by saying, listen, it's not just about what I do with God. And that's what Paul's telling us. 
Now certainly, again, don't take away from, we need to read the Bible, we need to study it, we need to think it through, we need to find out what it's saying, we need to spend time in prayer, and we should do that every day. But there's this whole other area of spiritual growth, spiritual formation that happens when we serve together. When we are the body together, when we are gifts to each other. And then we grow in our relationships and in our shared memories and our accomplishments. All of that feeds into us growing as individuals. And I, I would say it this way, and this sort of has a double meaning. Serving together leads to growing together. Now, part of what we're saying is, as we serve together, we, we develop relationships. We develop a unity, all right? So when we do something together, when, when, we're, when we're working at it together, we grow in our relationships. I had a professor, and I've told you this before, who talked about the unity of the shoulder to shoulder. We can sit down across the table from one another face to face, and we can talk about what we agree on and can grow together, but when we get shoulder to shoulder and we do this thing together, there's a different kind of unity that develops. So when we're serving together, it leads to growing in our relationships, this horizontal relationship with one another, but there's also this element that when we serve together, We all grow in our relationship with God, a vertical element. When we serve together, we develop relationships with each other, but we also all grow together in our relationship with God. We need both. We need time alone, but we also need time with with each other. And that leaves us with some responsibilities. One of the responsibilities is be the gift that God has called you to be. God gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, but there's all kinds of other things that are talked about in the New Testament in which we can be gifted. You can be a gift to this body of believers. And the question is, will you? I mean, God has created you with certain gifts, who you are, to do something. Have you done it? And maybe you haven't. Well, you know what? You can't change the past, but you can change the future. Be the gift that God needs you to be in this community of faith and the community that surrounds it. So be that gift, but also recognize your need for the people around you. Yes, you can spend time growing in your faith and in your relationship with God in time alone with God. But that will be incomplete because we need each other. You see, we are called to be the body of Christ. And we talked about last week how that body can't be divided. If you try to tear a body in half, it's not going to survive. We are the body of Christ. And we are called to, to serve as the body. I'm not a free agent. I'm part of this particular body. We have been called together in this time, at this place, to serve Jesus together. And I'm only going to serve him well when I serve as a part of this body. And I'm only going to be the gift that I need to be when I'm a gift in this community. 
And when I receive the fact that you are a gift to me and that there are things I've got to learn from you and there are experiences that we're going to share that are going to help us to grow in our faith and deepen our relationships with each other. All that is present and it's up to us to decide, will we do it? Serving together leads to growing together. And if we don't do that, we all miss out. Let's pray together. God, I'm thankful for, for this body of believers. That we are members of this body. Not that we have our names on a roll, but, but that we're connected to each other. And God, we pray that our shared experiences will help that connection to grow. And because of what we do together, we'll grow in our relationship with you as well. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.